This is Transistor.fm. Before this interview, I thought John Saddington was a guy that built WordPress products with his team at 8-Bit. What I didn't realize is that John, at a young age, had worked his way up the corporate ladder at big companies like Fox and Dell. Today, you'll hear his story. If you have a web development team or a product team, you probably want to know where you're wasting time and how you can be more efficient. This is exactly what Sprintly does. It helps surface the things that slow down development so you can focus on shipping faster. You and your team can try Sprintly for free by going to www.sprint.ly. We're getting a great response to our Product People newsletter. You can sign up and get product-making resources sent directly to your inbox. Go to productpeople.tv slash newsletter. Hey, I'm Justin. And I'm Kyle. And this is Product People, the podcast focused on great products and the people who make them. And today we have John Saddington on the show. And John is one of the founders of 8-Bit and is working on a new Kickstarter for a product called Pressgram. So today we'll be chatting with him about uh, his background and basically the myriad things he's up to. So, uh, hey, John, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. John, let's start with some background. Where, where are you from? Where'd you grow up? And how did you get start, started building products? Uh, yeah, every, every, every great story has a, has a beginning. Um, my, my beginning isn't too different, but I grew up, I grew up in Jersey. Um, I actually am a twin. So there was some competitive kind of beginnings from very early on. Oh yeah. Um, and then I traveled, um, extensively because my father, father moved around a lot for his job. He wasn't in the military, but he was a corporate guy, um, kind of worked in one, one business for 30, 30 37 years, I think, and then retired about three or four years ago. Oh, wow. Um, but he, he was incredibly good at, at building product and leading teams, and so company company wanted him to continue to do that. But I started building software at a very early age, um, as early really as, as I can remember, at least conceptually. And I remember having my first, my first startup was um, actually in, in middle school. Okay. I created a small kind of web design company, and then I got my first domain my freshman year in high school, and then booted up my first kind of Linux kind of Apache box on that year. But so, so for for us so, for us Canadians, what, what's what's the freshman year of of high school again? What what grade is that? Oh, that'll be ninth ninth grade. So so in in the ninth grade, you started your own. Was it a web development company? Yeah, it was actually primarily um, HTML, but with Flash. And so I was I was one of the earliest do- ad- um, kind of adopters of Flash technology. And in fact, back I don't know how what your audience is, but for those who are familiar with Macromedia and, and Flash before it was acquired by Adobe, and even before Macromedia, um, they used to have these so, um, kind of specialist kind of super user boards at Macromedia.com. Okay. And they had like tiers of support and it's all volunteer. And I was a, you know, kind of a freshman ninth grader in high school, you know, maybe like 13 or something. And I had, I had like, you know, all the stars and all the stuff for like a support. <laughs> but I, but I primarily built flash kind of flash based websites 
hmm. action scripting stuff. But so that was that was that was fun. So I started working and doing that, and then I got employed um, by Fortune 50. Uh, not soon thereafter, and so I was working at 14 as a kind of a, an engineer on the international e-commerce system for Johnson Johnson and Accu contact lenses. And so what? I started, I started using my development skills to make money very early on, and I really got a taste of corporate lifestyle and and all that that entails. And I very I quickly realized that that was something that I didn't want to do, but I, I didn't know enough at the time to to stop and just go pursue my own thing. So I continued my corporate track. And eventually, I worked for for some other large companies. I worked for for Dell as a senior engineer for them for a while, and then I became an executive at Fox um, and News Corp when I was when I was 25. And um, that's really as far as I could go up the corporate and a large scale enterprise ladder before you know I wanted to blow my brains out. So, <laughs> um, this is crazy. So that's how I got started. So you were you were fully like from the tenth grade, you were working for big companies all the way up until you're twenty five. Yes. Yes. And then I actually I did a nonprofit stint. I was in a technology leader for one of the largest nonprofits stateside for, for a year or so. Um, I mean, I got two master's degrees all at the same time. I mean, there's a lot a lot of this stuff, but that's how I got started in software development. And <laughs> <laughs> it's it's been it's a it's been a ride, you know. Yeah. So, so you're you're 25. You're working for Fox. Yeah. And what what happens next? Is this is this when you started doing your own stuff? Well, I got fired. <laughs> I got fired really quick. I mean, I, well, I was over. I was a senior engineer at Dell. And I was overseeing their enterprise side of their application development for for Dell.com, which is the largest e-commerce website on the planet. Yeah. And and then I was also um, building future state applications for for Dell. So anything from internal blogging and communication applications to some of their kind of more user-generated UCG stuff. Um, and at the time, you know, social media was blowing up. Even the fact that I use the word UCG, <laughs> I don't feel like I hear that very often, but it's kind of a given. And user-generated content was huge, and kind of we created the Idea Storm, which was kind of a, like a dig internal like dig style application for Dell customers. Anyway, so Fox um, asked me, "Hey, you should come lead our technology division for um, Fox Center Fox Fox Entertainment Group," which was actually was Fox Interactive Media, okay, and um, oversee acquisition of, of small startups, and then um, so kind of M and A's, and then build out the technology for the global kind of news corp. And at the time, I, you know, it was very it was a very attractive gig because I was living in Austin. I, I actually had uh, kind of one or two very very small startups while I was at Dell, um, and. They allowed me to keep my house and live in Austin with my wife and my, kind of my growing family, and then travel to LA and Manhattan to office and, and to do to do work, and that was that was kind of fun. Except that it was the first time I was like in executive and, and kind of executive management. And yeah. what I quickly realized was, as an executive in a billion dollar company, you don't actually get to touch code. Like mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't I don't know why you know I I didn't really think through that very carefully yeah and within the first two three months I was like 
so when am I going to get to touch the product? Like, oh, no, 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 you don't actually touch the product. You, you're going to hire engineers. And I was like, yeah, I, that's, I did that. I got a great team. But so when can I spend some time in, 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 in kind of the nuts and bolts? Well, you don't really do that here. Yeah. It's like, oh, what? <laughs> and so I, I was like, I really rebelled against that. I, um, and I, so I started a video sharing technology. Um, that was actually in direct competition to some of the stuff that they were planning that wasn't public yet. Yeah. And anyway, they fired me and they were just like, you can't do that. I was like, fine. <laughs> um, anyway, so that was, that's probably the first time I really shared that story in length, but that's yeah. hilarious. I've, I've, been, I've been fired like a number of times. It's just, I just don't get, I don't work well with management, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, sorry, Kyle, were you going to say something? Well, I was just going to say it's, it's interesting that um, you've had this successful sort of executive career and you, you just made that comment. You didn't really get along well with management. So, but on the flip side, you've also been like doing these like really startup-y type things. It's just, it's unusual to see somebody who's like, a, you know, that entrepreneurial spark to go so far, I guess, in, in the... Uh, more corporate world so soon like how did you manage it was almost were you like a split personality yeah. almost like did you were you kind of trying to do both at the same it time almost, or how did that work yeah I think it was because you know there are a lot of factors and each of us have a very unique you know backstory and all the kind of nuances of, of what makes us us but for me it was it was very difficult to reconcile my very early on interest in entrepreneurship and building products and um, and then looking at my father, who was a salary man for 37 years for for one you know Fortune Fortune um, organization, huh. and it's like so you have this guy who worked right out of college at a co-op or slash internship, I guess, and then became the in the, this chief executive of you know, this Fortune company, and I, and I it was very difficult for me to reconcile my interests with my father's, and I <laughs> wanted to. I really wanted to honor that that legacy, and I tried as hard as I could to make it work. I mean, every major career decision, every single career decision I've ever made, I've called him or and asked him for his advice, and just said, "Hey, Dad, I just I'm really confused. I I don't know what I'm doing, but like, this is the, the the track that they have me on. I'm working my way through management really fast, and the the, the pay is great. You know, now we're looking at quarter million with incentives and bonuses and thirty percent performance rates. Um, you know, and and, and options and like and that's what you did and but I really don't like it you know so it's like this so it's really it's really tough and I think I think I think a lot of entrepreneurs um, you know, have to kind of go through that that period of, of really kind of digging in and looking into to who they are and, and then saying you know what I can either follow my my parents or my legacy or you know, I'm gonna try something different yeah so and after that after you you got fired from Fox is that when 8-Bit started? Actually, I took a break. We had um, we made some great money. Yeah. And so I started, I said, you know, maybe this is the time where I just, I need to go back to school. And I was, I'm, I'm like a, a lost soul. I mean, I'm, I'm like totally, I'm, I'll try everything at least once. So <laughs> I was like, you know what, I'd always wanted to go into to ministry. Um, I grew up in the church. My parents grew up in the church, very, very, very religious and stuff like that. Okay. And so I said, you know what? I think uh, we've got some savings, and the heck with it. Like, why not we try this? And so I, 
I enrolled at Dallas Seminary, which we were in Austin, and Dallas was about three hours north. And so I enrolled in a Master's of Theology program there and, and started doing that and started working on my graduate work. I finally graduated last fall. This is seven <laughs> years later with a double master's. Um, so I have two graduate groups finally. And so I've been married to like that institution like almost as long as my wife. But, um, and then I got hired instantly as a technology leader in a very large nonprofit. So I thought, wow, like maybe the direction of my entrepreneurship is in kind of the nonprofit um, NPO type organizations. Yeah. And so I worked for a large, one of the largest churches here in the U.S., um, North Point Ministries. I was a technology leader for them. And all while taking my graduate work. And then also in addition to building these very small applications on the side, that lasted a little bit of time. Um, but nonprofit ministries, like, it's like it went from co incredible corporate governance and bureaucracy to like the slowest, like technologically, like astute type of culture ever. Cause, yeah. Because you know religious organizations, as good as they are, they're they're very slow to adopt. Yeah. They're even slower to adopt for different reasons than the enterprise. And so it's almost like I really I really value that time. A lot of my mentors um, came out of there. Um, I'm still very good friends with 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 many of them. I actually hired one of my partners at 8-Bit to come work with me, and then I left, and then I told him that he should leave too. Um, <laughs> I got, and then I lived in his basement for a while when we started up 8-Bit, so you know that's kind of a crazy story. But, um, And so that was really good because I, I really experienced the, the inertia of bureaucracy and corporate governance, yeah. and the, the inertia of um, kind of culturally relevant or contextually relevant type of organizations. And say, yeah. So what what is really stopping technology to move forward in kind of the religious space or nonprofit space? Well, it's X Y Z X Y Z. And so I really got a good taste, a very well-rounded taste of uh, kind of the major types of types of organizations. So I, I really do value that 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 time. Yeah, that's and so all all along you're building little projects on the side, um, and and actually build little projects and some large. I built. I raised half a million dollars in Angel for um, communications app built on Rails. Um, we went on to raise another five, six million um, in A and B round. I mean, so when I say little projects, I don't know if they were that small. Yeah. But but it's like what 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 the enterprise couldn't afford me was the f the freedom to actually build other projects and even experiment with businesses without being completely reprimanded and fired. When I worked at this nonprofit, I did incredible work for them, but I also had incredible freedom to even, you know, daylight, like totally, not moonlight, but like literally work during the day on my other applications, and no one really really had um, an issue. They were actually very supportive of that. Yeah. And so that was really cool. I could incubate some ideas very, very casually. Um, for sure, my, my salary was like 20% of what I made when I was working at Fox and News Corp, but yeah. we, my wife and I have, have never been big spenders. We, we stay very lean. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it, it really, really did work out. Yeah. And, and did any of those side projects go anywhere? Like as you were, as you were building them? Uh, actually they did. I mean, in 2007, I launched a, a social networking application for, um, adopted, the adopted people group. I'm actually an adopted Korean with my Okay. Phone. 
And so we built a social networking application for Adopted Division 2007 that was um, that grew very quickly and was acquired. Um, the next year, I launched a dating web service for World of Warcraft players. Uh, that, was picked up, that was picked up by Kotaku and and you know kind of that network. That was acquired um, within six months. Um, the following year, I, I created the first Twitter application for kind of Christians and nonprofits. That landed on TechCrunch in 2009 and was acquired. Um, 2010, I built a communications applications, raised angel and venture. That was kind of my first angel and venture round um, experience. <laughs> that was acquired. I built some server side applications. I built an advertising network in 2011. Man, so you've just been moving moving along this whole time, building yeah. stuff and, and and selling stuff. Now, but 8-Bit seems to be because that's your current company, right? Uh, that that seems to be a little bit more um, like. Is there a longer view with with eight bit? Yes, there is, and it it only is because I found I discovered that my partners are also my best friends, huh. and so it doesn't really matter what we built. We are we were bootstrapped. I did raise a round of capital for us. Um, it's not very well known, but I did raise a round of capital for us early last year. We huh. didn't need it, but it was really cool, um, and it just kind of helped accelerate us to the next point. Um, but these three guys, I mean, again, one of them, first partner, I moved my family with two, two of my daughters, you know, like right into their basement to 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 start, you know, kickstart the company. Yeah. And now we're just we're best friends, and so right now we're working on WordPress, and and we have a, you know, standard theme is our kind of our flagship product. We're working on a couple different products to be released um, this year, but that's a million dollar company, and it, it works, it's great, but we have a hell of a time, and, you know, I know, even, you know, again, the point of all that to say is, when you, when you find, when you find great people to work with, it, it, it almost doesn't matter what you build, because you, you're going to build great stuff anyway, mm -hmm. but when, when, like, I'm sitting here in my office, um, downtown, we just moved in here about two, three months ago, and it's just me. I'm in a 3,000 square foot facility in historic downtown Atlanta. Yeah. And it's just, it's just me. But my partners, you know, one guy, I think he's at a coffee shop. One of my partners is at a coffee shop. The other guy's, um, you know, hanging out with his wife and his kids. And, and Tom is up in the north hanging out with his, his daughter. And it's just like, and there's total trust. You know, we're all doing great work. We're all working very hard today. But when you have friends and, and you get to work with them and, and, and trust is, is the currency, mm -hmm. then then you, you, it's very difficult for you to move on. It's yeah. Like, it's incredibly difficult for you to move on. Yeah. Well, what, what – sorry, go ahead, Kyle. Well, I was just um, – I had some more questions actually. Like this is kind of a few steps back, but like um, I thought it was really interesting that you – like your side projects, you, cause we've talked a lot about side projects on this show before and usually side projects are not sort of the scale that you've talked about. So I'm, I'm curious to know, like, for example, um, the one app you raised angel funding for, like why, what led you to seek funding for a side project and how did you, how did you manage to convince investors to invest in, in something that was a side project rather than like your primary focus? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and one I've been asked uh, a, number, a, few, a few times. For, for me, 
um, it's you know one one of the best things that I've been able to always bring to my partners, um, my and my, my my kind of my venture capital team is uh, just straight up unadulterated honesty about my intentions, about what I see the roadmap to be, um, and just a hundred percent clarity. So, you know, and and I take that kind of that that philosophy on all my side projects. They have a begin date and they have an end date. And I don't I don't vision cast like beyond that because you know you you guys have interviewed many vision casting people and, and, and know many people and you can you can vision cast there's no there's no there's no end to vision casting. The problem is it all sounds really, really good. But so when I experiment and build my applications, and here's probably a very kind of pragmatist look at it. I say I'm, I'm going to try this for six months, and if it's if it's shit, then it's shit, and then you move on. And if I can achieve a certain level of metrics within those six months, I call that a success. It might not be financial; it might just be a product. It might just be kind of a marketing play. It might just be brand awareness. I, I don't know, but I declare that and say this is what what I'm gunning after. And so, so then I can I can relieve myself of those applications and those side projects without a lot of emotional baggage. You know, when I when I first created like uh, let the World of Warcraft dating website, which was 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 kind of like the soup du jour back then in 2000, I guess eight. You know, uh, eHarmony was really picking up. Um, Plenty of Fish had just like just like opened up and said, you know, it was like one guy and, and like two part-time sys admins were making like 30 million a month or something, and it was just it was blowing up. So I was just like, well. I was a senior engineer at Dell at the time, and I was building their enterprise app. And I was like, "Well, I'm just going to try this." And for six months, I'm going to build an, a, a, a kind of a social network dating website. And if in six months it sucks, I'm going to close it. But in six months, if it reaches X amount of um, interest or, or users, and maybe even some revenue, then I'm going to start looking for a buyer because I'm not interested. Like, I, my legacy doesn't need to be about World of Warcraft and dating. Like, <laughs> Yeah. So for, for, for me to be very so clear in my own you know head and even in my heart, then when I get to that six month period, I can make very clear decisions about where the project should go. And every single time um, I've said, you know, my goal is to build an incredibly attractive IP as quickly as I possibly can and then find a buyer who's willing to give me cash. And and then so I can go do my next my next thing. And most entrepreneurs don't have that level of clarity, or I haven't met very many. You can very can kind of look you in the face and just say, "I'm in love with this application at six, just, just for six months." Like it's it's almost it's almost contradictory. It's like, well, if you love it, then is that like eternal love? And like you know, you might hear like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah," but no, no, not really. Because if you're if you're if you're a serial entrepreneur, you're always thinking about the next thing. And so yeah. I'd rather just come, you know, be very straight up about it. So when I went. And raise this, this this venture capital. I said, "Here's what I need to do. We have a there is an opportunity that exists in the nonprofit space um, for social communication. There is no enterprise grade, especially Ruby based um, application ever created for this type of um, kind of market segment. I want to enter it as quickly as possible. It could take nine months to build if I got the right team around me." Um, you know, and we could kind of bootstrap it, or I can build it in 12. I'm sorry, 
I can build yeah, I can build in twelve weeks. I can build a MVP, a fully functional MVP in twelve weeks if if I raise about half a million. I said I would rather do the twelve week stint instead of nine months. And will you help me? And if we can reach those critical benchmarks within the first twelve, release our MVP, get incredible board, and then walk out the door in nine months with some offers to expand or, or buy out then everyone's going to be happy and no one's going to be mystified if it, if it does or it doesn't happen. And investors, they're really open to that level of transparency. You know, it sounds even weird saying it. You'd, you'd think that most people you know, would be that transparent. But I want to be very clear. Like, I'm looking for an exit here. I'm looking for exit quick so that I can bring a return on for you guys and I can go do something else because I'm going to get bored. Like, you, you, anything that extends beyond about like 12 months, like I'm, I'm bored. <laughs> and I don't want to lead you on to think that, that I'm going to be interested in this product, you know, in, in you know, month 13 or 14. And uh, this really works for, for some of the people that I've been able to raise money from. This is so interesting. This is a, a very different, because a lot of the people we interview are um, like one or two product people. Um, you know, like Jason Fried built Basecamp and he's basically stuck with Basecamp this whole time. Um, and, you know, I, I think pro probably one of my problems is that I don't say, um, even though I, I'm, I'm interested in building products, like kind of long-term, like building something and sticking with it, but, you know, I'll try things, but I won't have a start and end date and I won't have any kind of idea, like you said. So in six months, what do I expect to happen? What's going to be, if what's the benchmark that I have to hit? And I think that's actually really good advice to to say let's let's you know put a time box around this and say yeah. where are we going to be, and if we're not there, then let's move on. Yeah, it's like and and again, it's just my my opinion. Now I'm not as wealthy or I would say as successful as DHH and, and Jason Fried, so and and that's awesome. But for me, the way that I've been designed, it works. And it's not that it's to say that I'm not interested in building long-term. 8-Bit is a long-term company that I'm just I'm in love with because I, I found the right people yeah. to work with. But I will always be interested in building a proxy, and I'm always interested in doing it and not wasting my time. Like, I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. Like, we just finished WordCamp, which is kind of the, you know, the kind of local event to get mm -hmm. WordPress users, and we, um, I chaired it helped lead organize it and my company was, was a sponsor and we had our, our party here. We just finished that and we got so much response locally here in the Atlanta region for more education that we're like, to heck with it. We're going to create our own kind of mini event. And hmm. my wife was an event coordinator um, in her previous life before she married me and she would coordinate events for 20, 30,000 people. I mean, she was a mega event coordinator. Oh, wow. And so... Like it, and that's that's extreme. But it takes a it takes a long time and, and preparation to actually create you know a really decent, well well kind of managed event. Mm -hmm. But for us, it's like I, I take it just like I do startups. All right, guys, you know when we sat out with our team, we had a retrospective. We looked back at the WordCamp. We said we can do better. I said, all right, let's put a date on the calendar and let's do it. This was like two weeks ago that WordCamp um, camp ended. We yeah. have an actual date in May for our event. Huh. Just barely over two months away, or actually two months, it's actually closer than two months now. And it's like, if we can't do it in two months, like shame on us. 
you know, mm-hmm. and there's no, there's no need to say, okay, we'll do it sometime in fall. Put the damn date down, get everyone in line, get your marching orders, and then go kick ass. Yeah. And if it sucks, it sucks. But, like, I just, you know, I just don't want to waste my time, and my team doesn't want to waste their time, and you know, my wife who volunteered to help coordinate, so she doesn't. I certainly don't want her to waste her time. And I just think far too many entrepreneurs do way too much due diligence. Instead of just hitting, you know, hitting, you know, pressing start is what we say here at 8-Bit. Just press start. Yeah. Just just press start. (laughs) Jump in. No, don't read the manual. Go die a couple times on the first level, and then you'll learn. That's all for part one with John Saddington. One thing we didn't get a chance to talk about, but we do discuss in part two, is John's uh, campaign on Kickstarter. Go check it out at www.pressgr.am that's pressgram you can also find john on twitter at saddington now it's the time of the show when we do shout outs this is a chance for you to advertise your project to our audience of product people entrepreneurs developers and designers My fellow Canadian, Marc-Andre Cornier, is teaching classes at classes.codedinc.com. This is advanced training for developers on Rails, Node.js, and other programming languages. Visit classes.codedinc.com. That's C-O-D-E-D-I-N-C.com. Do you want to be featured in the shout-out section? The cost starts at $39 per episode, and it's a great way to reach thousands of people. To purchase a shout-out, you can go to productpeople.tv slash shout-out. That's it for now. Follow us on Twitter at productpeopletv, and don't forget to sign up for our newsletter, productpeople.tv slash newsletter. We'll see you next time for part two with John Saddington. Podcast hosting is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to Transistor.fm slash Justin and get 15% off your first year.